Depending on where you live in the world, you have a certain amount of freedom. If you live in North Korea, you don't have much individual liberty. In fact, you can't even listen to this show. If you live in the United States, however, you're in a country founded on the greatest amount of individual liberty ever. But how free are you really? Today's guest, Jeff Berwick, says you aren't nearly as free as you think you are, and he believes cryptocurrency can be the great leveler to make governments less powerful, thereby making individuals more powerful. It's a philosophy of anarchy, but perhaps it isn't as reckless as it sounds. Are you ready to burn this mother down? It's episode number 238 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, episode number 238, and we're going all anarchy. Here, Mr. Travis Wright, time to burn it down. Let's go, let's go burn some things down, Mr. Joe Calm. So anyway, glad you guys are here. Welcome to the show, and we have a great show for you today. Jeff Berwick, the founder of Anarcho Polco, an event that takes place in Mexico, where Jeff lives, he is a, uh, a freedom fighter, an anarchist and a libertarian, and he's going to say some stuff that's really going to get you to think. And that's kind of why we're here is because we want to learn this stuff and and uh, share it with you. Yeah, he's actually putting on a really interesting event that is going on here in a few days. So you do have a, a few days to, to still you know have the opportunity to go to this thing. It's in Acapulco. It's called Anarchapoco. And if you look at it online, there are some amazing speakers there. I think Ron Paul's going to be there again this year. There's going to be, I was looking at the list, there's all types of amazing crypto people that are going to be there. I think all the people that be there should have two first names. You got Ron Paul, maybe Billy Joel will be there. Mm-hmm. Billy Maybe. Paul, Mike David. I don't even know who that is, but he's making up. Um, yeah, so great people, crypto people. And you know what? Trying to make the world a better place. Some of them have a different uh, ideology, but it seems like everybody's heart's kind of in the right place. We're trying to make the world a better place. Keep us away from an authoritarian dystopia type thing. And uh, good stuff. My heart's but, in my chest. It's in the right good. place. Hey, before we get to that, let's talk about our show sponsor, Divi is a cryptocurrency app that makes it easy to earn, transact, and store crypto. Uh, They are the very first uh, crypto ecosystem powered by masternodes that can be installed in one click. And that is true. We had Ryan in our home office set up the masternode, took less than five minutes to set this up. So with the masternode one-click cloud installer, users can begin earning crypto, click of the button, very quick and easy. The network's uh, smart wallet enables users to easily store and transact their earned crypto with the luxury of a simple user interface. Pretty good. It was designed by the Divi Project, and they are looking to reduce the friction of crypto through user experience and user interface, and I think they've done a great job. Check it out, Divi Project, D-I-V-I project.org. That's what all the cool kids are doing, so Mm -hmm. go check it out. All right, speaking of cool kids, let's get to our interview with Mr. Jeff Berwick. ladies and gentlemen we have a great treat for us here here today we have someone who is all about you know uh i guess he's against the dollar he's the he's the dollar vigilante out there he's been talking about for many years about the federal reserve bank and how it's not awesome and he is a self-proclaimed anarchist libertarian he's a freedom fighter he also is the founder 
of the uh, very unique conference that happens uh, each year in Acapulco. It's called Anarchapoco. Uh, all right. So today, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, give a big round of applause to Jeff Berwick. <laughs> Welcome. Good, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I want to know, first of all, can you define what an anarchist is for us, please? Sure. Uh, basically, it's a very basic word. It's a Greek word. Uh, the first part of it is an, which means without. And the second part is archi, which means ruler. So without rulers. So if you're an anarchist, you don't believe that people should be ruled or be slaves. And I'm quite surprised that there's uh, not that many of us. It it does seem as if, you know, it, it's, in some case, I know that, that that's a word that, that really burns some people, right? And it's one, there's a lot of people out there who are like, the government is like a, almost like a religion, right? That's the, the whole status mentality. And I don't know, I, I, I'm on this, I'm on the fence where I'm like, yeah, we need to have rules because if not, people are going to go crazy and things can get a little haywire. So in your, in your idea, say there are no governments, how, how do we, how is there not chaos everywhere? Well, it's not governments that necessarily just make rules. You can make all the your own rules you want. If you own a restaurant, you can make up any rules you want about what people can or cannot do when they come into your restaurant. And the same can apply for communities and things like that. It's It's actually a big mind game that the government's been playing on people. And in fact, the meaning of the word government is govern to control meant mind. It's actually mind control. And it's getting people to actually believe mm. that there's these people who, who kind of own them and run them and that they're in charge of things. And all they need you to do is give about half of all the money you make every year to them. And they'll make sure that uh, things kind of run okay. Uh, but uh, in general, the, the, the market itself can always run itself far better than any sort of centrally planned communist style government. I think when people, a lot of people, when they think anarchy, they think chaos. And the two words are not synonymous, are they? No, absolutely not. The word anarchy, the, the government and the media, and the media is basically the propaganda arm of the government, the mainstream media. And it's been that way for decades, if not centuries. And uh, they've uh, really tried to uh, make the word anarchy uh, aligned with the word chaos. So whenever there is a riot in Seattle and there's a bunch of communists generally breaking Starbucks windows, they go, this is anarchy in Seattle. And, and they'll do that all the time. They'll try to say that whenever there's some sort of chaos, that it's anarchy. And they do that on purpose because they don't want people to actually understand what the word actually means and actually understand what the philosophy is. Because if they did, a lot of people would realize that government's a total scam and just walk away from it you know now if you if you go back in time which i've you know I've, I've researched you know money for a long time as well you know going back to you know going back to um mayor amshel rothschild and the whole system that happened you know back in the 1700s and it seems to me that what's happened through our civilization is we've spent an exorbitant amount of time trying to get power away from the kings and queens and the church and we finally did. And then we gave the power to the bankers. Yeah, that's generally what happened. Uh, essentially, what happened is for a number of centuries, and I don't know much beyond that, it's really tough to tell because a lot of what they tell us about history is really all just lies anyway. Uh, but it appears that there was a lot of kings and, and things like that, uh, royalty, so to speak, and in a lot of places for uh, numerous centuries. And a lot of places, people started to wake up to it and said, who are these people? They say they have this special bloodline and uh, they, they were born and they were special and they, they rule us and they're, they're going to take a lot 
of our money away and, and tell us where we can live and all the things that governments do today, essentially. And a lot of people woke up to that. And you had things like the French Revolution and lots of other revolutions uh, over the centuries. And uh, so the people who are really in charge, and these are the people behind the scenes, uh, basically said, okay, they're catching, they're catching on to what's going on here. Uh, so we have to make up something new, some new way that makes people believe that uh, they're actually uh, running themselves or they're, they're actually uh, ruling themselves. So they actually came up with the idea of democracy. And the democracy is such an absolute and total scam. Uh, but they essentially said, okay, let's tell people that they rule themselves. And so they get to vote every four or five years. Uh, and they get to choose which people they get to put in who rule them. Uh, and that will give people the the feeling that they actually rule themselves. But actually, nothing's really changed. Uh, the same people generally run things behind the scenes. Uh, it doesn't matter who you vote for, as we've seen over decades now, whether it's Clinton or Bush or Obama or Trump, it, nothing really changes. The IRS still taxes. The Federal Reserve still inflates. The war machine still drops bombs all across the world, uh, killing millions of people over, over the decades. And, uh, and, but it, it's a total scam. It's essentially uh, getting people to think that they actually rule themselves. And you can actually see that. You see a lot of people today really excited about democracy. Oh, it's so great that we, uh, we rule ourselves. But it, you actually don't, obviously. Obviously, if in a democracy, if 51% of the people uh, decide that you should be killed, then you will be killed under that sort of system. It's an actual system of mob rule, which is kind of what they say anarchy is. Uh, everything's absolutely flip-flopped in, in those terms. But essentially, it's a big scam to get people to believe that they rule themselves and that they aren't actually oppressed slaves, which most people are today. Man, I feel I feel so oppressed. I, it's like, ow. Well, it is one thought is like we are sort of if you think about it from a metaphor, we're slaves to the dollar bill or we're slaves to the currency of our country, because if we don't have that currency for the most part, or at least historically, you know, you don't you don't pay your rent, you don't have money for food, you can't pay your bills, and they're going to shut all your stuff off. So let me ask you this then, because we're all about solutions. I'm not a big fan about bitching about problems if we can't find a solution. So how does maybe how does crypto and 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 how does how do we move forward? Maybe how does blockchain and crypto help us move towards a better civilization down the road? Yeah, cryptos have been a huge advance in terms of us eventually getting rid of governments, uh, and that's obviously just happened in the last ten years. You brought up how dollars uh, kind of enslave people. In reality, you're not enslaved to the dollar. You don't have to use dollars. For example, especially today, I could just use Bitcoin for all my all the things I want to do as long as the other people want to accept them or uh, or take them or, uh, or or send them to me as well. Uh, so we're not fully enslaved to it. But the way that the system set up with uh, you, you are extorted every year, they call it taxes uh, for somewhere between 30 to 60 percent of everything you make every single year. It's an absolute scam, total extortion racket. Uh, but what they say is you have to pay those in dollars. So right there, you have to somehow get these dollars to pay the extortion to the mafia, which is called a government. Uh, so right there, they've got you. And then, of course, it's run by a central bank, which can print up money at will and actually do things like inflation, which is just printing up money, which is all central banks really do. And that actually destroys economies. So over and over, they destroy the economy, they impoverish people. And then you have to somehow get these fiat currencies to pay the extortion uh, by the, the mafia. So so in those terms, yes, you are generally enslaved to uh, the, those currencies uh, if you don't want to go at side of those systems. But as you just pointed out, thankfully, for the first time, really, especially in the digital age, we have a way of getting around uh, this uh, this total scam, this total um, uh, 
Ponzi scheme of, of fiat currencies of, of central banks and things like that. So we actually can use a, a decent currency, a real a sound currency like a, a Bitcoin, for example, which is limited to 21 million total Bitcoins that will ever be supplied into the market unless something really dramatic happens. And uh, that alone actually changes the game because a lot of the control of the governments today and a lot of the way they impoverish everyone is through inflation. And Bitcoin takes away a lot of that uh, opportunity or ability to inflate. Well, what do you think is going to happen, though, as you know, we've got this, this battle going on for regulation? A lot of people and institutions are sitting on the sidelines with their billions and billions because they're waiting for regulation. But that that goes against a lot of the um, the, the MO of what crypto was supposed to be in the first place. Well, the interesting thing about crypto is you can't really regulate it. So you can have as many regulators as you want, but Bitcoin itself is unregulatable. Uh, you can't come in with guns, which is what governments do. That's the only thing governments really have is violence. Come in with guns and say, Bitcoin, you've got to change what you're doing. You can't. It's just math. And and there's there's a consensus of the market of, of what Bitcoin is and, and how it will change if it does change at all. So they really can't regulate uh, cryptocurrencies. What they can do is regulate regulate people. And by regulate, I mean kidnap them and kill them if they don't go to cages uh, that they want to put them in or extort them, which is fine them for, for various things that they think are bad or, or things like that. So, so really, the government is just trying to do what it always does, which is control people to enslave people and to destroy markets uh, and make it so that people can't transact uh, very easily. Uh, and as I just pointed out, cryptos really are not regulatable. So the only thing regulatable really is people. And a lot of people are starting to wake up and realize this whole government game's a scam. This whole central banking communist style system is a total Ponzi scheme and scam and starting to walk away from it and stop being obeying their authority. Uh, so we're going to see what's going to happen in the next few years. But if a lot of people start moving towards crypto, uh, this will actually take down all the central banks, which will get rid of all wars, uh, which will get rid of most poverty in the world and actually reduce the size of most governments by 80 to 90 percent. And hopefully at one point, 100 percent. I just want to make a quick point here, Trav, that, you know, even this, there's nothing new under the sun. And if you go back historically, you know, way, way back in the Old Testament, at one point there was a theocracy and there were no governments and the, the people people allegedly said to God, we want a king, give us a king. And he's like, no, you really don't want a king. And they're like, no, no, we, we want a king, give us a king. And so he gave him a king. And, you know, it, it didn't go well in the long run. They had good kings, bad kings, but ultimately somehow people want to be ruled in some way, shape or form. Yeah, that was uh, obviously written about in the Bible. And, uh, you know, there's there's definitely some truth to it. There's a lot of people still today in the world who don't want to be free. They actually want to be slaves and they want a king or a president or a prime murderer who sits there and tells them what to do and takes most of their money and tells other people what to do and puts people in cages and all that kind of stuff. Uh, some people still want that, but a lot of people don't. And uh, we're going to see what happens over the next few years. Uh, really, what it comes down to is if they end up controlling the entire uh, digital currency, system. So uh, if governments and central banks put in cryptos of their own, which aren't really cryptos, they're actually controlled by them, they can inflate the money supply at will, they can do all the things they do with the current fiat currency system. What that means, and if, if everyone starts to use it or is forced to use it, and they actually uh, obey authority and start using it, every single transaction that everyone does will be uh, tracked, it will be taxed, 
Uh, and uh, we'll live in a, a sort of a slavery that we've never even known in entire human history, because even today, there's a massive amount of transactions that occur in what they call the black market. The black market is just the free market. They call it the black market just because for the same reason they say anarchy is chaos. They want people to think it's all dangerous and bad, but it's, it's really just people transacting without paying extortion fees. And uh, so the more that people do that, uh, the, the less control that they have. So if we move towards a, a digital currency, currency that they actually control and uh, they end up tracking and then taxing every single transaction that everyone makes. We'll live in a world of tyranny that we've never known. However, on the other side, if people move towards more private cryptocurrencies that are more sound money, things like Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and especially things like Monero, which have a lot of privacy, uh, we can actually get rid of central banks and governments and have peace and prosperity on earth like we've never known it. Yeah, that would be that would be a really nice thing to have peace and prosperity because it really does seem that Historically, governments are the ones that create all the wars and all the, you know, and we're always fighting about certain, a lot of wars are around religion, a lot of wars are around resources. I mean, we've been in a perpetual state of war for the for the most part for the last two, two and a half, 100 years, right? 250 years, uh, even more so. And so it's crazy to kind of think about. And then, you know, we have people, you know, our fans on the show, they say, hey, you know, Travis, don't talk politics. We want to tune in to talk about crypto. And I say, and I always kind of think, well, one of the reasons why I'm in crypto is because of politics and because the way the banking system is set up and the way that this, the, the way that things are, they're, they're kind of inherently connected. And, you know, it's it seems to me that, as you just mentioned, that crypto could be that one thing that frees society or it's that converse thing. It could be that thing that puts the final hook in us. Like if the IMF decides with their special drawing rights, creating the cryptocurrency that, you know, ties that, that everybody's assets have to go on the blockchain and everybody's, you know, so and all pro private property is, is taken away because it seems like that's kind of a, a long term goal that they've had. It's just interesting. So it seems to me the politics and crypto are kind of inherently tied together. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And it's because of uh, the money is the most important thing. Uh, you've heard all the sayings about money rules the world and, and all those sort of things. And, and in many ways it does. Uh, of course, love really rules the world. But like when it comes to like our day to day transactions, if we're not just out living in the woods and and just meditating all day and, and, and don't own anything or anything like that, which actually isn't a bad idea. But if we were doing that, uh, if we're not doing that, we're, we're involved in transacting with other human beings and every single transaction action involves one thing and call involves money unless you're bartering and very few people barter nowadays because it's not a very uh, good system if you make eggs and another guy is a mechanic and you need your car fixed but he doesn't need eggs you're kind of screwed so that's why money's kind of good so every single transaction that's made in the world uh, involves money and that happens every you know, trillions of times per day every single when you get your haircut there's money involved the barber wants the money more than he wants to give you a haircut and vice versa you want a haircut more than you want that money. And then in actual fact, every time there's a transaction made, both sides win because otherwise they wouldn't make that transaction. So it's a beautiful system. It's wonderful. The big problem is when the government gets involved, forces you to use a fiat currency, they control the fiat currency and they can print it up at will. Inflation is one of the most nefarious things in the world. There's been so many quotes. John Maynard Keynes has said that not one man in a million understands inflation. Uh, Henry Ford, the creator of the automobile in the early 20th century, said that uh, if um, – 
people understood how the money system works, there'd be a revolution by tomorrow morning. And and what he meant by that is if you understood exactly how nefarious the system is, the central banking system, that most people would be incredibly angry. They'd realize that they've been uh, raped and, and robbed of, of most of their earnings for most of their life just from inflation alone, not even including the extortion of governments. So, uh, you know, you, that's why this is so important. And if if what we're moving towards, if we can get towards a system where we get away from that, where we don't have an inflationary monetary system, that alone will make the economy so much better. It'll get rid of all these problems that we have across the world in terms of poverty, because that's actually all caused by central banking. You pointed out all wars are caused by governments. Of course, they are. That's what governments do. They go to war with each other. But it's actually all paid for by the inflation of central banks. Without central banks, you can't have these major wars, certainly not wars like World War One, World War Two, uh, this ongoing war that the U.S. Uh, Department of Offense has been on with the war of terror now for 20 years in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. You can't do that because if people are actually getting a bill in the mail every month for it, uh, a lot of people would say, I don't want to keep paying for this anymore, but they just print up money uh, to do that. So uh, the, if we can move away from that and get to a, a decent sound money, uh, we'll get rid of all of those problems. Could you imagine that getting that bill each month? You had to pay. It's like, all right, here's your war bill. Right. You got to pay. You need to pay like three hundred. You actually knew yeah. for all the war going on. You run a website <laughs> called dollarvigilante.com, and the headline on this is "Surviving and Prospering During and After the Dollar Collapse." Now, you could certainly make the case that the dollar has been collapsing for some time, but you know, when we look at a country like Venezuela, where it is in complete collapse because it's resulted in its its natural end under, you know, socialism and dictatorship where, uh, you know, the inflation is like 40,000 percent and people are starving there. When do you think that, you know, we're in for something like that or are we at all? Oh, absolutely. That's what the dollar vigilante is all about. And the main reason that things like the U.S. dollar especially haven't collapsed as fast as say the Venezuelan Bolivar or the Argentine peso or the Zimbabwe dollar is because the U.S. is a much, much, much larger market. And uh, the U.S. dollar, uh, for many good reasons, has been used across the world for the last uh, century at least, if not longer than that. Uh, definitely since, you know, the founding of the Federal Reserve, 1913, that sort of a thing. And because the U.S. has been so productive, because as you just pointed out, it hasn't been as socialist as uh, a lot of places like Venezuela. It's moving a lot towards that now, but it hasn't been as much. Because of that, there's been a ton of productivity in the U.S., a very productive uh, uh, population, and they've produced a lot. And because of that, they actually want a lot of things from across the world. As you know, most people buy so many things from China today or Japan electronics. Uh, but they have that that money because they, they earn a lot, they produce a lot. And so those dollars go over to places like China, they go to Japan. So the actual market of the US dollar is just absolutely massive compared to a country like Zimbabwe, where they barely produce anything really, uh, or Argentina, which actually used to be a decent economy. Uh, but after decades and decades of socialism has actually just destroyed it so much that the Argentine peso goes into hyperinflation every 10 years about on average. And the, even in Venezuela, that's actually their second hyperinflation. They had one about 10 years ago, uh, and they're into another one now because the market's so much smaller. But there's really not that much difference between the US dollar, the euro especially, that's even worse, uh, the Japanese yen, and things like the Zimbabwe or, or Venezuelan Bolivar. Uh, the only difference is size. So it takes longer for these other currencies to go into hyperinflation because it's such a much more massive market. But when you look at the amount of money the Federal Reserve is printing, it's been printing massive amounts 
amounts of money since 2008. When you print massive amounts of money, that's how you get into hyperinflation. That's what causes hyperinflation. And a lot of these other countries, they just get into the printing of money a lot faster because their market's so much smaller. Uh, but what we're seeing now, we will see in the next couple of years, the euro, the yen, even the dollar all collapsing in the next few years. We're, we're nearing the very end of all of these fiat currencies. Mm. You know, as you're as you're talking about that, and I know that, that that to be you know absolutely true, the amount of money that has been printed since 2008 has been ridiculous. Now, by that same fact, knowing the fact that we're printing all this money and prices are going up for the most part, but the price of gold and silver have actually declined in that time. And you would think when you create double or triple the amount of money or whatever the number is that is now in circulation that you think gold and silver would actually be some sort of, you know, it would be a barometer of how much money is in circulation because, you know, we know there's nothing tied to the dollar. There's no gold standard or silver standard, but the more paper money that gets to be created, it would seem that the more the price of gold and silver would rise. Now, maybe explain to folks a little bit about, you know, the manipulation of, of that market, if that's something you want to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Like definitely the precious metals market is manipulated, but it's it's more that they've really done a good job of getting uh, through the media and things like that, getting people just to forget about gold. Even going back to Alan Greenspan and all those people saying the dollar is a, a what do they say, some sort of barbar barbaric relic and all that sort of thing. And there was actually a pull done of um financial advisors in the U.S. just in the last few years, and it asked them uh, what they thought of gold. And every single one said they would never, ever recommend it to clients. It's the worst investment they've ever heard of. It doesn't produce anything, et cetera, et cetera. The funny thing is, in the last 20 years, since uh, 1998, uh, gold has actually outperformed the stock market. It's actually outperformed the bond market. It's actually outperformed almost everything except for one other asset class, and that's cryptocurrencies, which actually just started in 2009. Uh, but it's actually performed quite well. Uh, but yes, they've talked most people out of it. They, if you watch the media, they'll always say, they'll rarely even talk about it. But if they do, they'll say how stupid it is if you own gold and silver. And we're still in the in the inflationary part of this, this bubble. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of people who have assets still, they're, they're saying, okay, I'm going to put it into the stock market. Look, the stock market's been going up so much, or I'll put it into bonds, which is going to be an absolute disaster. But, uh, you know, maybe there's safety in bonds um, uh, the, or real estate. They'll put it into real estate. They say, oh, the real estate market's been going up a lot and things like that. Once these things start to crash, we'll actually see uh, gold and silver skyrocket. And that's essentially what happened after 2008. Uh, gold and silver actually went down for a few days during the crash, but then they skyrocketed to hit all-time highs by 2011. Uh, gold went from under a thousand, or sorry, yeah, under a thousand, almost two thousand dollars in 2011. Uh, silver went from five or ten dollars to fifty dollars in 2011. But then they started to reinflate, and people moved away from the precious metals again but that will happen again and the precious that, metals and that's when i was buying all my silver like a genius <laughs> but i should have been buying bitcoin right <laughs> yeah it's not easy and not easy at all in the markets but uh, those are the things definitely to be owning at this moment in time because we're on the verge of an absolute a massive crash in every market imaginable uh, and the two things that i would suggest people get into is precious metals and cryptocurrency so, you know, there's, there's people out there that have been writing about this for years. Uh, you know, Peter Schiff, who's extremely bullish on uh, precious metals, wrote a book back in 2014 called The Real Crash, America's Coming Bankruptcy, How to Save Yourself and Your Country. I've actually been tracking gold and silver a little bit and noticed that recently it's, uh, it's kind of 
starting to bounce back a little bit as of this recording golds at about 1320 uh, per ounce and silver is back over $16 again. So I wonder if that is a portent of, of things to come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, there's been people obviously predicting major crashes for decades, and we have had major crashes. We've had major crashes almost every decade. We had in 2008, uh, barely even just got through that one. That was the worst uh, uh, one, uh, really, even bigger than the Great Depression, even though it's 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 kind of difficult to compare, but very, very big crashes. But we're going to have the major one uh, sometime soon. And the reason is because you can't ignore math. And you, you look at the U.S. government, uh, when Barack Drombomber, the no- Nobel Peace Prize winning president who never had one day of peace, his own presidency, when he came into his regime, came in and took over his dictatorship of the U.S. in 2008, the total debt of the U.S. was $9 trillion. Today is $22 trillion. It's about 10 years later, and it's nearly tripled. Uh, if you just look at the, uh, you brought up the money supply. Since 2008, the Federal Reserve has tripled the money supply. Uh, these are absolute banana republic level uh, numbers. Uh, basically, the system actually did die in 2008. And all they're doing now is printing money as fast as they can just to keep it alive a little while longer. But it's not going to go too much longer. This is going to collapse. And uh, we will see, as you pointed out, and actually, I do think gold and silver starting to rise now is a portent of what is coming. I think the markets are starting to to figure out a little bit, or some people are, and starting to move into precious metals uh, and things like cryptocurrencies. And that's, you know, we saw cryptocurrencies have a massive bubble last year, massive uh, pullback or crash this year in 2018. uh, And they will do very well as well once this crash starts to happen, because there really won't be too many safe places to go as this crash happens. And we're going to see a complete demolish of all the financial system. All banks will close. All fiat currencies will become worthless over a couple year period. Basically, what you see in Zimbabwe or Venezuela and places like that, that's going to happen everywhere soon. Mm. So how do we hedge our bets on that then? Is it all about, you know, stacking gold and silver and some cryptos back to for, for a rainy day or moving to Mexico like you've done? Or what? what, what do you think? Well, I do what I recommend, and I did say to a lot of people, get out of places like the U.S. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be a scare, a fearmonger at all. And, you know, there's going to be, if you live in the mountains somewhere in the U.S., you're probably going to be fine. But if you're downtown L.A., when the food stamps get turned off for good and the banks close and the supermarkets start getting emptied out within one or two days, I wouldn't want to be around there at that time. And that can and will happen. And it actually almost happened in 2008. Uh, The crisis was so bad in 2008 that no one knew which banks were solvent. And because of that, uh, all transport of everything across the world, and especially food uh, done in you know, big, large shippers, uh, they usually have they, they transport based on bank credits. So when the, the, if they're leaving Thailand with a, a ship full of whatever fruit they make in Thailand, I'm no expert on fruit, uh, but they, they, they come into the U.S., they will actually get a bank credit letter that says when they arrive in L.A. at the, at the dock, uh, they'll get this much money from this bank and the bank guarantees it. So what happened in 2008 is no one knew which banks were solvent. So those tankers actually stopped shipping for a couple of days. And if you know anything about the food system and how stupid it is that most people get their food from across the world in just in time sort of inventory things instead of having their own gardens and growing their own food and and things like that, you can actually have the supermarkets and, and, and the food system actually run out of food within a matter of days if the financial system uh, cracks or even crashes or even just 
demolishes and goes goes to zero and everything closes. Uh, so you, you do want to be careful, uh, but I don't want to be a fear monger. Uh, just like anything, uh, if you're smart and if you're aware of things, you can get through things very well. In fact, a lot of people can do very well through this next collapse if they know what's going on. And that would be to own a lot of precious metals, uh, keep a lot of them in your own possession, because if you don't hold it, you don't own it. And that's the same for cryptos. Uh, own some cryptos. We actually recommend up to about 20% of your, your uh, portfolio in cryptos. But if you want to be very safe, you could put it at 10% or something like that. Uh, have some maybe some real estate and and also be you know ready for, for major changes. There's going to be a lot of craziness happening in the next couple of years. And uh, just be ready for it. And if you are, most people are going to get absolutely wiped out in this crash. So if you end up getting through it with a lot of assets still, like that are held in precious metals or cryptocurrencies, uh, you will be one of the the new rich people uh, that will be helping to rebuild the world after this next crash. Welcome to the happy Good Time Charlie uh, edition of the Bad Crypto Podcast. (laughs) We're all optimists here. So what do you say to people who be like, come on, we are America. That can't happen here. (laughs) Uh, Well, first you laugh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh yeah, people have such short memories. If you just even look at the U.S., the U.S. has been bankrupt numerous times. So there's been like very bad times. It just hasn't gone complete collapse yet. Uh, for example, in the Great Depression, uh, that was all caused by the central bank. They increased the money supply, then decreased it, caused the crash. They bought up everything at pennies on the dollar, and then they confiscated gold in 1933. Uh, so, you know, there in the U.S., land of the free, uh, you weren't al- allowed to even own gold between 1933 and 1974. Uh, they went bankrupt again in the late 60s with the Vietnam War and all the other things that they were doing. Uh, and they, they were still somewhat tied to a gold-backed system, uh, the Bretton Woods system. And uh, what that said was that central banks, foreign central banks, could turn in their dollars and, and retrieve gold if they wanted from the uh, U.S. Treasury. And it was actually at the end of the 60s, and the U.S. had been spending so much money in Vietnam on on their terrorist attacks over there and killing hundreds of thousands or millions of women and children and all the horrible things that they were involved in over there. Uh, The the French government actually said, hey, uh, you guys look like you're kind of bankrupt. We don't want to hold uh, U.S. treasuries or dollars anymore. We actually want gold. And uh, they they knew they didn't have enough gold to pay them. In fact, I don't think there's any gold in Fort Knox. And even if there is, it's it's such a small amount now by any measure. Measure, it really doesn't matter. But even back then, they realized they didn't have the gold. So it, it was on August 15th, 1971, that uh, Richard Nixon took the gold backing away from the dollar. And we've been on that system since then. And then we've had, of course, major uh, collapses. The biggest was 2008 uh, since then. And we were very close to a complete collapse of the entire system. So to say that this uh, couldn't happen and it's never happened before. Well, it's things like it have definitely happened before. And this one's going to be far bigger. It's never been this bad. Uh, even in all those other crashes, 1930s, the U.S. government had barely any debt whatsoever. In the 1970s, when they took the gold backing away from the dollar, there was barely any debt by today's standards. Now there's $22 trillion in debt. Uh, there's just the, the numbers are just so far out of control uh, and so massively bigger than they've ever been in the past that when this collapse happens, it's going to be by far the worst one. Yeah, that was a, that was a magical moment whenever uh, Charles de Gaulle pulled in with the uh, the battleships into the Hudson Bay and said, all right, here's a bunch of this. Uh, here's a bunch of these fiat papers. We'd like our gold. <laughs> and then 
that that happened right there before Nixon uh, before Nixon took the gold off the off the standard, and uh, that was that was really funny. You know, the, the, hey, we'd like our, we'd like to be paid now. Oh, really? Oh, wow, we got to pay these guys. We got we got a couple <laughs> battleships out here. You right? know, hey, I understand using cryptos practically, right? Because there's a set amount, and you could say, okay, I need a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin in order to transact this thing. But how do you do that with gold? Because you buy gold in you know ounces or tenth of an ounce. The same you know same with silver how does how does that practically work if you're holding an ounce of gold during a collapse and it's the thing of value how do you spend that well i think you'll find that once the this whole system collapses there won't be any fiat currency around so people will accept almost anything but that said uh, i really don't look at gold as being something you keep around that you're going to be using in day-to-day transactions it's just not that useful that's actually a lot of gold bugs hate cryptos but that's why crypto is so great it's very similar to gold it has a lot of the same properties as gold but it's very easy to transfer it's very easy to uh, you can have bitcoin down to the eighth decimal and, and very interchangeable and all that sort of a thing. So cryptos have such a a lot more use uh, value in today's digital age, as long as the internet stays up and the power stays on and and neither of those are actually guaranteed. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risks involved in everything, but uh, really the the cryptos are what I keep around as things that I know that uh, I'll I'll be able to transact as long as the power and the internet stays on. Uh, But then uh, things like gold is a lot just to keep your wealth. So if you have wealth and not a lot of people do anymore after all the, all the taxes and regulations and all the inflation and everything, but there's uh, some people who still have a little bit of, assets, uh, keeping it in gold, you know that's going to be worth something. There's there's almost nowhere in the world, I think California might be the only place where you can go and uh, show someone a gold coin and they have no idea what it is. But if you go anywhere else in the world, and uh, even in v- Vietnam, for example, I was there a couple of years ago, you look at the uh, real estate prices in the newspaper and it's all listed in gold ounces because their their currency just is so worthless. Uh, they just list it in gold ounces. And a lot of people actually transact in gold uh, still to this day. And you can go anywhere in the world and uh, Dubai anywhere. And if you've got some gold coins and you really need to, you know, get some, you know, transact for something, uh, you'll be able to find a place where you can sell those coins. Uh, But I don't think of gold as something that you should keep around so you can buy groceries during uh, when banks are closed uh, for a number of months. But something like silver could actually be definitely used for something like that. It's obviously a lot uh, worth a lot less. And so a silver coin might be worth, you know, $50 in today's dollars or $5 or something along those lines. So those things can transact. But to me, gold's more to uh, keep your wealth during these uh, transitionary periods between systems. Hey, Travis, I know you've seen that video on YouTube that Mark Dice did where he was standing on the boardwalk, I think, in Huntington Beach. And he was offering mm-hmm. people a candy bar or an ounce of silver, a silver bar. A 10 ounce, 10 ounce silver bar. Was, I, I don't, was it 10 ounce? Uh, whatever it was. Yeah, it was a 10 ounce silver bar. And, and everybody, well, at least everybody he showed took the chocolate. He ran out of chocolate before he ran out of silver. Either that or he just didn't air the other ones, the people who knew. But yeah, d- definitely interesting. And, you know, so you have a, you have an interesting event going on. This is the fifth year that you've had the Anarchapulco going on. And I tell you what, I've, I've been, I've thought about going, I think four of those years. I'm like, I should go to that. And things always like the time of year doesn't seem to work out or whatever, but maybe tell our audience about the mission behind the conference you're doing and some of the speakers, because the list of speakers you have here are just out of this world. You have so many amazing minds coming to this thing. 
Yeah, it's called Anarchapoco. It's the world's largest anarcho-capitalist or anarchist or voluntarist conference, basically a freedom conference of people who believe in total freedom and that they shouldn't be slaves. And uh, we have a number of great speakers coming this year, including Ron Paul and Judge Napolitano, who's a anarchist, and uh, uh, Cynthia McKinney, uh, who's turned into an anarchist, and uh, David Icke and Doug Casey and so many great people. Uh, and we also have during the entire conference, it's four days on the beach in Mexico. It's it's amazing event. Uh, but uh, we also for the four days, we run something called CryptoPoco. So uh, if you're not that interested for whatever reason in all the freedom related stuff, uh, and you're mostly interested in crypto, you can still come. And every day we've got CryptoPoco with so many amazing speakers. Uh, this year, we've got uh, Ben Swan is coming, uh, Jason King of Academy. Uh, just looking through the list here. Uh, Daniel Kravitz, uh, Paul Stork. Um, Michael Tur- Turpin, he's one of the top VCs in, in the space. Um, so many amazing crypto people. Um, so it's it's four full days on the beach, February 14th to 17th. And uh, uh, really recommend it. It's in Acapulco, Mexico. And uh, this is our fifth year. And it's really just an amazing time on the beach with a lot of freedom-minded people and a lot of people really changing the world through things like cryptos. Mm. Well, and uh, that's coming up really quick here because when this show airs, uh, it's going to be really close to that. So if you guys want an excuse to go to Mexico, uh, anarchapolco.com and also links to uh, Dollar Vigilante and Jeff's um, LinkedIn page in the show notes. Jeff, really appreciate you coming here and bumming us out today. No, <laughs> uh, is there anything else you'd like to uh, share with our audience before we sign up? I just say I don't want to bum anyone out. It's, it is the reality of the situation. And really, just like I said, it's how you deal with things and how prepared you are for things that make them really bad or really good. And if if you're quite prepared for what's going on, and if you're into crypto already, and you own some precious metals, uh, and you're prepared and you know that this is possible in the next few years, uh, you'll you'll have a very good chance of having an incredible uh, time during, during a, a time that a lot of other people just unfortunately aren't. But you know, it's not our fault if they're not aware of what's going on. If they're getting their information from television programming and uh, mainstream media and government indoctrination camps called schools, then uh, there's not much we can do except for, uh, you know, just wish them the best. But they will go down a lot of them with the system. And uh, the great thing is you don't have to. Well, there you have it. You don't got to go down if, <laughs> if you're prepared, folks. Thanks again, Jeff, for sharing with us today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I don't know about you, Mr. Travis Wright, but I want to go like tear some things up now. Ah, anarchy. I don't know about you. I, I'd like to go hang out on a beach um, <laughs> in Acapulco. That sounds really good with some crypto crypto buddies. Uh, actually, we're going to be in Denver. You are normally in Denver, but I will also be in Denver for Denver ETH that's going on this next week. This next week. It's actually, actually. It's actually ETH Denver. ETH Denver. Yeah. Denver yeah. ETH, ETH Denver. Those are two different events, I guess. We're actually performing Bad Crypto Live this Saturday night, and you guys can check out what's happening at the event at ethdenver.com, and it's going to be super cool. You know, Mexico is a beautiful place, and they've got great people. It just really bothers me that you still can't drink the water, right? You know, to to go somewhere on vacation, and it's like you have to make sure you're in an all-inclusive type resort, you know, where the water's okay. And mm-hmm. we really, we really need to fix this water problem around the world. And uh, you guys know I'm on the board of WaterIsLife.com, and they are they are working on solving that problem. So if you're not check them out, then uh, then please do. And uh, what what else do we want uh, the audience to know, Mr. Travis? Right? Besides that, we love them so much, and, and hope they never go away. Yeah. 
Um, well, I don't know. What else? Should, what else should we want them to know? Is there anything well, new that we need them to know? Uh, no, they should pretty much just stay bad. They should definitely stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.